This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, guys, so before we get started, a quick shout out to our sponsor, Complete IT Systems Limited, providing industry-leading IT solutions for 14 years. Makes sense, right? Uh, today, I'm with Andy. Andy, how are you, mate? I'm all right, thanks. How are yourself? I'm not too bad, but let's just face it, this man down here is someone who you will have heard of. If you haven't, you've certainly seen a picture of him because he was on our flag of legends uh, the one and only Cess Pod. Cess, how are we today? I'm great, thanks, Chris. Andy, good to speak to you guys. Fantastic. What we want to do is, as well, is, uh, I mean, I'm really excited about this episode to talk to yourself. Obviously, you had the most uh, most appearances for Bradford City. Um, but I think if we start from right at the beginning, if that's all right, so you were, you. so tell us a bit about your upbringing, if that's okay. Yeah, sure, Chris. Um, probably know that I'm originally from the Caribbean, um, which is where I'm now, I'm back in St. Lucia. I was actually born in St. Kitts, but when we were kids, my parents moved to the UK um, and we moved to Leeds. And that's basically where my fo- love for football began. I remember seeing um, a, a guy called Albert Johansson play for Leeds United. He was the first black player that I'd seen play. And um, I used to really admire him because great player, you know, and... Um, with me being the only black kid in my region, you know, it was good to see somebody like him doing so well. So I continued going to the games, you know, and, and really fell in love with it through watching him and playing in the street with, with, with my mates. So that's how that, that he was really my inspiration, should I say, when it came to um, falling in love with the game. So I've, I've, um, I've read up a little bit about you, Sass, and, um, I saw that you was uh, studying artistic design or something on them lines, and that football is supposed to be a hobby, uh, just something that you yeah. enjoy doing. So how did how did that change to going yeah, from a hobby that, to pro? Yeah, that soon flipped, didn't it? Because it became like football became my my job, and then the the, the art became my hobby. Uh, but yeah, I used to go to what what happened. You know, was um, I was spotted by a, a man you scout. I used to go to church. At, church called Bridge Street Church in Leeds with my parents and um, they formed a football team and we used to play regularly um, sorry I think I lost you there um, and I was spotted by a man you scout and asked to go for trials and give, given a form to fill out but when I sent it back um, explaining that I was from the Caribbean and my ethnicity and everything I never heard from them so I'm not saying that was anything to do with it but it felt as though there, there, there was like um, a stigmatized uh, kind of approach to the, the way they went about selecting trialists. So um, then it happened again with Wolverhampton Wanderers. I was spotted by a Wolf Scout and I went for trials and wasn't selected to take part in the trial when they picked the two teams. And so my dad said to me, because he went with me on all the trials, um, and he said to me, look, you, you need to study. Forget about football. It's just a hobby. Um, you need to study your, your graphic design. You're good at that, and um, and that's why I ended up going to Bradford Art College. Having said that, that's where I met a guy, you know, who who introduced me to Bradford City because I went to Bradford Art College, and his dad worked for. Um, he was a scout with with Bradford City, and they asked me to go for a trial, and uh, I went and. Um, 
Jimmy Wheeler, who was the manager at the time, just happened to be at the trials. And he said, you know, I'm looking for who... They picked two teams. And again, I wasn't in the, either of the two teams. And he said, I'm looking for a left back. And I put my hand up. And um, at the time, I was playing right wing, to be honest. And um, yeah, that's the way I got in, in, on the field. And um, from that, he selected me, came personally to speak to me and asked me to come um, to, to train with the juniors on a Tuesday and a Thursday at Bradford. And that's how it all started from. Am I right in thinking, uh, I, I don't know if this is true, but I read something that, that said that you told him you were a left footer and you went home and tried to <laughs> practice with your left foot for a year before you it's said anything. True. It's true, yeah, I was so scared that he was going to find out, you know, because he, he said, I'm looking for a left back, and I put my hand up and said, I'm a left back. So I've gone on the field, you know, and I don't even, I can't remember much about the game. I just remember really enjoying it, thinking I'm on, on a field with, you know, um, and a chance to be a professional footballer. Um, and then the ne- when, when he approached me, I was so pleased and, you know, I went home really excited and straight out backyard, left foot, just practicing knocking the ball against the wall. And I did that for like about three, three months or so, you know, and I, I think I played every time I played, we went training because I don't know if you remember, but at the time the, our training ground was a car park at the back of Valley Parade. I don't know if you remember that, but I don't know how on earth we managed that, but the amateur players used to practice on that. We didn't have the luxury of a grass field even. Um, so I managed to disguise my lack of ability with my left foot on that field because the surface was so bad anyway. <laughs> but, but I got I got through it, and um, I you know I ended up playing um, some practice games, and then I can't remember why, but I switched to right back, and um, obviously I excelled there because I was using my my first my my um, right foot for the first time for a length of time, and you know. Um, there was a guy called Maurice Conroy. I don't, you probably won't remember him, but he was the coach at the time, did a lot of work with the young players there. I mean, we had people like Dick Exley, Pete Turbitt, Steve Arney, um, Pete Hammond, John Middleton, Joe Cook came eventually. You know, they were all youngsters who, who perhaps didn't really make it big in the first team, but they actually made first team appearances. And they were all juniors who came from that those training sessions we used to have with, with Maurice Conroy. So we had a really good system, uh, development system even at that time. Incredible. So so, so going from amateur then um, into your very first game as a pro for Bradford City, who was it against? Because I, 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 I wasn't born. I wasn't even a twinkle in my mum's eye at that point. You know, I remember making my debut and um, it was really funny because I used to, we, we, I remember playing for the juniors the week before at, at uh, we played Newcastle away. And um, I remember I was playing at right back and they had the left winger who was really quick, you know, and um, I was determined that he wasn't going to get past me. And I remember him coming, coming at me and I've clattered him. I've, I've, and um, I think one of the things that Maurice felt that it was that I needed to, to build myself up because I was pretty lightweight and he wasn't sure that, if I was going to make it, that I was aggressive enough. And I remember that game because, you know, it, I don't, it wasn't unintentional, but, you know, I remember hitting this kid so hard that he didn't continue in the game. And um, I, I got a card. So on the, Saturday, on the Friday, the following Friday, I remember I'm in the changing rooms and it gets a call from I knock on the door, the, the door and it's and um, the secretary comes. She goes, uh, Seth, Seth Bod, the, the boss wants to see you. So I'm thinking, I'm going to get told off here for hitting that kid and, and getting booked. So I'm walking to his, to his um, office and I'm thinking, oh, my God, what am I going to say? So I walked into the office, head down and everything, and he said, sit down. So I sat down. He goes, Newcastle game. Did all right, didn't you? I said, yes, boss, really sheepishly. Yes, boss. He goes, well... You'd be starting the game on uh, against Chesterfield on Saturday. Well, you can't you can't imagine the feeling, you know, because I've gone from thinking I'm going to get bollocked by the boss <laughs> to him telling me I'm going to make my my first team appearance at Chesterfield away. I didn't even say anything. I just got up. I couldn't because I didn't know what to say. I got up, went outside, and I remember thumping the air 
and just jumping. I was just so pleased, you know, and uh, I went into the changing rooms and the guys are saying, what's, what, what's he said? What's happened? And I said, I'm, I'm a first teamer. Just like that. <laughs> and, um, and that was it. I mean, I never forget that moment. It's something you just don't forget. You know, um, I've done a lot of things since then. But that moment when you're told that you're making your debut for, for Bradford at the time, that always stands out in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I believe like back then, trainees were, were allowed to play first team football. So you weren't necessarily on a contract, were you, when you first signed for Bradford City? So that seemed to be uh, the model. So, so for yourself, when did you sign your first contract? Did you sign it after that or when was no, that? No, that was different. I, I actually signed. Um, I'd signed pro then at the time, yeah. I'd already signed pro. What happened was the he came, they tried to sign me before I went to college, you know. Um, but my dad said, No, you you have to, you're not signing anything until you finish your college. So I had to finish college, and then after that, they, he said, If you're that good, they'll come back when you finish. And and then they did, you know, he came to my house. And the Simon first contract. I can't remember the month, but it was in 2000, uh, 1970. Wow, that's unbelievable. <laughs> and, um, and then I made my debut that year as well, you know, against Chesterfield. Um, I, I never forget that because I remember getting on the bus, you know. Um, I always used to watch the first teamers when they get on the bus with the Bradford City tag at the front, you know, and thinking that must be so, such a good feeling. You know, and, and I remember getting on the bus with the Bradford City sign on the, you know, and feeling so proud, traveling to um, to Chesterfield and being met by the police at the top of the motor as he come off and being given. You just feel really special, you know, and it was a special time for me. And then I remember Pat Liney was the goalkeeper at the time and I was sitting on the seat on my own and he came and sat next to me and he was saying to me, how do you feel? And I said, a bit nervous, but I'm excited. He said, don't be nervous. He said, you're playing in front of the best goalkeeper you'll ever play. <laughs> you know? And I started laughing, you know, and I said, well, don't worry, because you'll, you'll be playing behind the best right back you've ever played again, <laughs> played with. And, and he started laughing as well. So that's another, you know, something else that always stands out. Uh, I think Pat's gone back. I think he's in back in Scotland now, still involved in football, I think. Um, but yeah, they were great times with, with some really special players that, um, you know, the, looking back at the game now, I'll never forget um, that group of players when, when I first made the first team. You know, I, I mean, I've got them here. I mean, I always look at them and I think, I wonder what they're doing now, like Pat Liney, Tom Hallett, he was the, 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 he was the, the captain and centre-back, really good centre-back, Charlie Rapstraw, you know, midfielder, Bruce Bannister, who he seems to score goals for fun, him and, and Bobby Ham. And then there was a, a young left-side midfielder called Peter Middleton, you know, who I got on really well with because we were similar age. And, um, we, you know, we, it was just a really special time for me those days. So what was, um, what was your lifestyle like back then? Obviously, you know, you, you talk about a lot of youth players that have come through into that Bradford City team. What was your lifestyle? What, what did you eat? What did you drink? You know, how often yeah. did you drink? Things like that. Yeah, I, well, I, obviously in those days, they still had the diets that you were supposed to um, make sure that you, you ate at a special time and make sure that you, you rested at the right time and things like that. Um, I wasn't from a wealthy family, so we, we weren't able to buy steaks every day and stuff like that. And this was something that the club got involved with. And um, I used to be given a diet. I used to go to um, a restaurant every every day nearly, well, three times a week where I'd have steak and stuff like that, you know. And it's crazy when I look back now. But, you know, we even used to have steak before a meal, before um, for our meal, before a game, you know. We, they thought that that was the way to go, but you wouldn't even dream of that now. It's a bit heavy, you know. Yeah, our pretty much meal was a steak, you know, um, and it didn't seem to affect us. We still got around the field. Um, but yeah, there were special diets and you were told 
you know, when to rest, what type of rest period you have before games and things like that. It, that hasn't changed an awful lot. What has changed is the diets. That is just, you know, if you look at the, the fitness of the, some of the players now and the work rate they get through, they've got the, the, the new stat system now where everybody has a, a GPS system that, that they, they use for training sessions and even games. So the fitness level for me is a lot higher. It really is. You know, even when I'm working here in St. Lucia at the time, at this present time now, um, we, we, our, our international teams use, use the, the um, GPS system. Um, we're very, very big on diets uh, and rest periods and things like that. So it's moved on. The game has really moved on. And in terms of fitness, you see the way the how quick the game is now. You know, it's not about running and dribbling with the ball. George Best would would have probably struggled because, you know, he'd have had to release the ball a lot quicker than he used to, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's moved on. Um, and for me, you have to be a lot fitter. Sweet. So, so, so as a right-back um, in, in your day, um, I, think, I think your goals tally over the 14 years you played for Bradford shows that you scored three goals for City. And good goals. Well, the good goals. <laughs> there were decent goals, every single one of them. Um, but like in today's in today's game, um, it's very the the wing backs are, are utilised a lot more in an attacking play. It, do you think you could have handled that back in the day if if it had been that sort of level of fitness and physicality? I think I think if if um, because during the time I played in that position, especially as a youngster from eighteen onwards, I was never coached. It was it, you know it was something that I automatically did. And the, I mean I I played under something like six managers, and um, no one ever stopped me from going forward or told me I had to go forward. It was something that I always did. I think in today's game, there would be a lot more coaching um, and I would probably have been a better player. Um, I feel as though, you know, my assets were, were attacking and, 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 and getting forward and, and, and perhaps what I could have worked on more is the final ball, you know, but it was, I mean, we had people like Bobby, Bobby um, uh, um, Campbell in the team who, no matter where you put the ball, he's going to win it. But imagine if um, if there's more emphasis on that, then I think people like myself would have been would have benefited more. Uh, you know, when I say people like myself, um, the role that I played as as an attacking wing back at the time, you know, it's 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 even more so now in, in the modern game. You get most of the fullbacks, and a lot of teams play with three defenders central defenders and, and two attacking wing-backs. So, you know, I, I would have loved to have played in today's game because I thought, I think it would have suited me more. So you, you know, obviously, you, you got into the team. You stayed in the team for a long time, Tess. Um, and you were relied upon quite a lot. You had, I assume you must have had some loyalty towards Bradford because there were other clubs that were interested in you. So why did you stay at Bradford out of interest? Um, I never even considered leaving. You know, there was a time when I asked for a transfer, but it was because I wanted a, I wanted a, um, a pay increase. That was it, you know, and I thought at the time I deserved it. Um, but then Portsmouth came in and I looked at the map like at the bottom of England, it was like I'd have never been out, out, out. You know, my family all live in the north, and the racism at the time. You know, when, whenever I left Bradford and Leeds, whenever you travelled to places like Millwall and stuff like that, it was horrible. It really was, you know. And the fans always supported me. I remember, guys, that I remember the first time I got racial abused racially abused was but I think it was was Millwall as well we were playing them at home and um I've run onto the pitch and their fans started doing monkey chants and singing that song Bradford's got a you know the word um and our fans took over that ch chant and then at the end of it shouted my name and um asked said let's give us the wave and I remember doing that 
and they all started clapping. And then every time the opposition fans shouted that, they shouted my name again. And eventually it appeared that the, the fans, there, the opposition's fans stopped doing that. And that cemented a relationship between myself and, and the Bradford fans straight away. And I'd never forgotten that. Um, yeah, every time we played, you know, you would they would ask me to give them a wave and it was just a special crowd, you know, a special group of people that I enjoy playing for and um, representing. Yeah, that, that's that's one thing. Uh, my my granddad, um, he died earlier on this year, but you were one of his favourite players. Um, and um, I was speaking to my grandma about about this um, interview the other day, and um, she 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 said to me that. Your granddad, the one thing he'd always say about Cess Podwood, the Bradford City fans would always back him in the corner because we all know that in the 70s and 80s, racism, hooliganism was rife. And I, I'm, I'm sorry you had to experience that because you must have had to have such a strong mental resilience to be able to deal with all that hate towards you for no reason of your own, no fault of your own. But obviously, like you say, having the Bradford fans behind you the way they did, um, my granddad said no Bradford fan had ever allow um, a bad word to be said about you. So, like th this, for, my, for, for, for me personally, speaking to you as well, just wanted to get it out of the way with. Um, it's massive for, for, for me and my family because, like I said, you were my granddad's one of my granddad's favourite players. That's great to hear. Thank you. Appreciate that. You know, and, and I think most black players uh, who represented Bradford City can will say the same. I, I mean, they, Bradford have a history of being able to embrace every every nationality, you know, on and off the field. You know, if you look at the race of the um, different races who either have businesses or actually live in Bradford, it, that speaks for itself. You know, so you know that's that's one area I think that Bradford can be proud of and and that's the integration that's taken place in that city. It's awesome. So go I don't, I don't really want to tread over it too much or bring back any sort of like bad memories from the past. How did you when you were going to places like Millwall, which is notoriously sort of like a bad place, especially back then for for racism, how did you deal with that yourself mentally and how did do the players react to that in, in the changing room? I don't think it was, a, it wasn't a problem for me eventually because um, I, I, my total focus always was on playing um, and, and getting on with the game. And I think the managers that I had, you know, um, we had people like, as I say, Jimmy Wheeler was my first manager. And then Ray Wilson took over from him. We had Bobby Kennedy, John Napier, who actually played. And then after Bobby left, John Napier became manager. Um, and then we had George Mulhall and Roy McFarlane, you know. So, And they're all people who understood immediately. I mean, one of the things I always encourage my coaches here in, in St. Lucia, national coaches, is that they have, to, they have to understand every player, you know, before we bring them up for national duties. They have to understand the background, know what's going on you know, and be able to support them in every way possible. And I think the managers that I had at Bradford City at the time, they all did that. They understood, you know, what made me tick. They, they knew my strengths and weaknesses and what they needed to shield me from. And, and I think one of the things I can always say about those, those teams that I played with, they understood that as well, you know. And um, you were there because you could play football and, and you were part of a team. And... Um, that's that was my whole focus to represent the team. Anything outside of that, I I just ignored. Yeah, that's 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 incredible. It really is. That's obviously something we'd never understand, and we can't. Um, so, what what was your favourite game for Bradford City? I mean, I know you mentioned obviously your first game, but what was your what was your favourite game playing for us? Oh. I can't remember the year, but I remember we played um, we played Norwich City in the cup, and uh, 
I think we were playing, we were due to play them away. I think it was a two leg and we beat them at home and something like that. But what I, this particular game, John Bond was the manager of Norwich City at the time. And I remember we, there was a, about a flu that um, a lot of the players came down with. And John Bond had put out in the media that we'd already postponed the game once and we, we need to get on with it. We're only a third division club. You know, um, and it really wound the players up. And I remember going there, it, you really didn't need any more motivation to beat them. And I remember going to Norwich and beating them. Um, little Billy McGinley scoring the winner. And that was a, such a great trip back home from Norwich. That's one of the games that stands out in my mind, yeah. And then you have the game against Liverpool when we beat Liverpool at home in, in the League Cup as well, because they were such a... A, a, a brilliant team. We got beat away from home in the second leg, but the first time we beat them, Bobby Campbell scored the goal. And, um, you know, the, you can imagine the excitement at the time, but they're the two games that stand out in my mind, yeah. Incredible. You, I mean, you mentioned Bobby Campbell a few times already, but what's your memories of Bobby? What, what can you oh. tell us about the person that he was? <laughs> You know, that, that every time I ask anyone, when I speak to any of the ex-players who played with Bobby, that's the first thing that happens. There's a smile on their face because that <laughs> that was him, you know. You can't really take him seriously because he doesn't take himself seriously. The only time he takes himself seriously is on the field. Off the field, great character. You know, um, he's one of those players that you, there's never a dull moment. You can't switch off. You know, because you're wondering what he's going to do next. You know, is he going to throw your your underpants in the in the in the in the bathtub? Is he, you know, he's going to flick you on the ear and pretend it's somebody else that did it? You know, and just a really good guy to have around the team. But on top of that, he's one of the best, if not the best, forwards I've played with. You know, his movement off the ball is something that so many of the young players could learn from today because especially in today's game, because that's what it's about as a striker. It's your movement that triggers the final ball to you, for you to be able to get onto the end of it. And for me, Bobby was the best. I remember when we played um, Bournemouth and we needed, I think we needed a point to go up and we were losing or we were drawing. Sorry, we needed two points to go up and I think we were drawing the game against Bournemouth with about two minutes to go. And I remember um, the goalkeeper kicking a long ball, picked it, picked it up, two minutes to go, kicks a long ball, Joe Cook heads it on. And as he's, as he's about to head it, Bobby's movement gets him level with the last defender. Now, that, that to someone who doesn't understand football, you, they would not even have seen that. But his movement allowed Joe to just help the ball on and it, it gave Bobby... Um, a, a, an edge on the defender because he's fa he's now facing the goal and the defender is facing has his back turned to the goal and as the ball drops he hits it first time and it, it, it bobbles into the back of the net but it was all about his movement and his anticipation of what Joe was going to do and that was what Bobby was about it, it's nothing you can explain to people who don't understand the game but as a player they're the things you look for you're looking for that movement that triggers triggers the killer ball that breaks the defensive lines, and that's what that's what Bobby was good at. A tremendous player, I think. Even today, in today's game, he could be a top top player. Yeah, it sounds like. Who was the best player you ever played with? And then there's the next. Obviously, there's a follow up question on that as well. You mean apart from Bobby? Apart from Bobby, yeah. Yeah. Um, there are, there are a number of them that stands out. I think possibly, I like Big Joe because Joe was similar. Um, you know, he, he could play anywhere as well. Joe could play midfield, which he never did, but he could. He played centre-back. He played up front. He was strong. Um, probably didn't have the technique that some of the top players in today's games have. But for the level of football that we played, someone like him with his physique and everything, I, I always rated him as one of the best um, players outside of the, the top flight that I, play, that I played with. And then um, 
I think Bobby Ham. I I I played about two or three games with him before he moved, you know, and, and trained with him and everything. And what a player he was! He when I first got into the 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 squad, he was my hero. It was like, wow, Bob, I'm training with Bobby Ham, you know, um, because he again, it was about his movement, and he always ended up on the back of. Um, you know, he always ended up in the right place at the right time and he knew how to hit the back of the net. Uh, awesome striker, you know. Again, even in today's game, I think he would do well. So I have to put him alongside. And, and, and I have to say, um, Bruce Bannister as well. Yeah. Bruce Bannister was, um, I think, one of the first players that went to, I think he played in, he went to France, didn't, didn't he? On the move from, from City. You know, he ended up playing abroad. So you can imagine, if, if you've got, foreign clubs coming in for a player, you know, he must have something special. So those two players are awesome for me. Just looking, he played for Dunkirk. Dunkirk, right, yeah. Dunkirk. And who's the best player you've ever played against? Oh, ooh. without a doubt, Kenny Dalglish, when we played, we played Liverpool away. And um, it's the first time I've seen a player use underhand tactics to win like, every ball there was you know I remember him backing into me and grabbing my shorts and turning me and I couldn't do anything and the referee didn't see it and you can't even claim because you just feel so stupid you know but he was such a good player and again it's all about movement and that's something I've learned as a coach now how important that is and trying to track him was really difficult because there, everything he did was last minute he already knew what he was going to do but he waited until you you were on your back foot and then he'd do it. So his movement was such that he always gave, gave him a head start on everyone. So if you watch some of the, the top players play, that's what it's about. You know, they um, and, and Kenny was the best at that, you know. He, he didn't see him run around a lot, but when he did move, it was a killer move, you know. <laughs> he was going to get onto the end of it before you. So, yeah, definitely Kenny Dalglish. I want to talk about so obviously you've had you had 502 appearances for Bradford. Uh 1981, you had a testimonial. I do want to talk to you about this. And your team was the Black Hole Stars. Uh playing against was it Bradford? I do apologize. Um yeah, at Bradford 11 we played yeah. against. Yeah. So tell yeah. us a little bit about that then. How how did that all come about? And you know, the well, players I'll tell you, are incredible. Tell you what happened, Chris. We we um I used my cousin was um, she was only about seven at the time and she used to come to some of the games. My mum was looking after her because her mum her was in the Caribbean. So we looked after her for a while. She was, she was no, she, I think she was five. She was five at the time. And um, I used to bring her to the games and she used to love coming. Um, and then I asked her one day if she wanted to go to um, one of the games that I wasn't playing in. And she said, no, because there's no you in the game. I said, no, no not me. I know she said, but there's no other you. There's only, there's only you when you're there. And I couldn't understand what she meant. And then she saw another black player and she said on the TV, and she said, hey, this, Uncle says there's another you. And I've looked at it and it was a, a foreign game and there was another black player playing there. And I understood that. And I thought, I want, if every kid is like that, every black kid is like that, then they need to know that every black kid have the opportunity to play. And I want them to see that. So in my testimonial, um, they, were set, they advised me to have Liverpool or someone like that because I would make more money. But that wasn't what I had in mind. I just wanted to, black kids to see more black players on the field. And that was where that came from. And I... I knew quite, you know, in those days, you kind of knew each other. So I knew Terry Connor and I called him and he passed the word around. And Garth Crooks, I called, I knew Garth. And, you know, and within about a week, everybody had agreed to play. They'd got permission from the clubs. And, um, and that's really basically where the idea came from. I just wanted black kids to see black, there, were, there are other black footballers you know, um, playing professional football and you can go and enjoy watching them. It, it, it is just, it, it's incredible, but it's sad that you had to bring the light yourself to up, up on the issue. Um, obviously now we've got various 
different organizations that are trying to remove sort of like racism and stigmas around football, but it's still not completely gone yet. Um, so like having been able to get a lot of black footballers from around the country getting them released, did, did the clubs did their clubs um, fight back at all against, against you for, for wanting them to be released to come and play? Because you are no, making such that, a statement. Yeah, no, you know, and that, that was the thing that, that pleased me most because none, none of the clubs, you know, um, were, was against that happening. I think one, the one club, and I can't remember who the manager was at the time, and he, he had the right to, to feel concerned because Garth was... At, I think Spurs at the time, and um, I don't even know if I should if I should be saying this, but he's not there anymore anyway. But Gal said, "I'm not sure the gaffer wants me to play." Um, you know, he said, "But I, um, I'm here. You know, I'll support if you want anything you want me to do." And I said, "Yeah, you could just just mingle with the guys, and you know, we had people like Justin Fashionu and people like that there." And he was wandering around the changing rooms and. Then, it was getting. It was like twenty minutes to go to kick off, and he's talk, and we're all talking to each other, and the kit is all around the changing rooms, and um, ten minutes to go, and and I looks around, and, and Gav takes his top off, all right, and then as he, as we're talking, he takes his shorts, <laughs> and he's getting changed, and I'm going, I thought he said you gaffer would not. He says I'll chance it, so don't worry about that. I'll chance it. <laughs> you know, it's changed, and and he joins the team. That's you know, so, yeah, so um, no, we didn't have any issues really. The, the clubs were quite supportive, yeah. What was the score, Cess? I don't, I know I scored a penalty with, Did I don't know, <laughs> I, I don't remember the score. I think we won the the, the all blacks team, won, I think, but um, I can't, I honestly can't remember. I remember scoring the penalty where the goalkeepers dived the wrong way two minutes before I took the kick, so. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it was a great night, um, the, a great game, um, and a great moment in 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 my playing career. You know, the the it wasn't the last game for Bradford City, but it was one that really stands out because it meant so much to 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 everyone. Hopefully, excellent. So so move, moving slightly on. So your time at Bradford City is done. Seth Pod has retired. Um, I've I, do correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I've read that. You'd retire, and then a few weeks later, you get a phone call from Neil Warnock at Scarborough, and um, he managed to convince you to come out of retirement by saying you had an ingrown toenail. <laughs> Is that okay. true? Is it true? Neil, Neil, listen, let me explain. It's kind of true, partly, because Neil, I don't know if you've ever met him, but I'd not even met the guy, right? And I was on holiday and I got a call from my mom. She says, there's a guy called Neil Warnock wants to talk to you. She said, he's given me your number, his number. Can you call him? He said, it's urgent. So I called him and he goes, Seth, Neil Warnock here. He says, um, I've just been told by the Football League that from now on, if you win promotion from the Conference League, I mean, if you win the Conference League, you automatically get promoted into the Football League. He said, he said, that, it starts this year, this coming year. He said, I've been putting a team together at Scarborough that's going to make history. We're going to make history. He says, I've got everything set up. I've got a great set of lads. All I'm missing now is a, a right back, a captain and a coach. And, I, and he goes quiet. And, he's, and I says, yeah, but I've retired, Neil. He said, don't retire. You're going to do all three jobs for me and we're going to make history. That was my first conversation with him. So I said, Neil, I've retired. It's not something that I can just dis decide on. I said, he said, well, don't decide on it yet. Come and see me when you come back from holiday and we'll talk about it. And I'll tell you why we're going to win that league and make history. And he kept saying making history, right? So when I got back from holiday, I went to see him. He lived in Sheffield at the time. And I went to see him at his house. He had a terraced house. And upstairs, he invited me and went upstairs. Upstairs, he's got a a studio where that's a shropodist. I didn't know that, but that's his background, right? So he goes, come up, come upstairs. So I went upstairs. He goes, sit on the couch. 
sort of sat on the couch and he's saying, this team I've got, and he's explaining, I've got Rico, this kid that I've got a great centre back. And he's talking to me like that. He goes, and, it, and I put, as I sat down, it, it lifted my foot up and took my shoes off. And he's talking to me like a matter of factly while he's doing all this, you know, and he's going around. He says, um, you've got ingrowing toenails, haven't you? I said, how do you know that? He goes, I know everything about my players. I said, I'm not your player. And he goes, this is, yeah, but you will be. So it says that. So he takes my other shoe off and takes my socks off. And he gets this thing, like knife, you know, them things that they shave your, your, your toes with. Takes that. And he starts shaving my ingrowing toenail out. And I'm a little bit uncomfortable because I'm thinking, if this guy doesn't know what I'm doing, I'm going to lose my toe here. But all the time he's talking about what we're going to do. So anyway, eventually he finishes his sales pitch and he goes, stand up. So I stood up and he goes, can you feel your ingrowing toenails? I said, no. He says, sign for me and you will never have ingrowing toenails again. <laughs> I just started laughing and we both started laughing. He goes, no, seriously. He goes, says, we can do this. And he showed me the team and I just said, all right, I'll give it a go. You know, and, and, and that's what happened. We, we got, we, I signed for two years with him. We got promoted. Yeah. You know, um, 50 to 1 you were to go up that year because it was Barnet who were the uh, favourites to go up. Yeah, yeah, we weren't. I think we, and we struggled the first couple of games, I think. But um, after that, we just hit a, a, a really good run and we got promoted. First team to do it and he was right. But having said that, you know, with, the, with Neil, the way Neil works, the, the, the coaching bit, I mean, I was captain, I played right back and I coached for about, six weeks or so but it was just because Neil doesn't coach and what me what he's good at is man management you know and he understands the game his tactics are awesome but he needed somebody you know who could put sessions on excuse me and do it on a, on a you know in a way that's going to affect the team based on what happened before and it was just too much for me so eventually he got someone else in uh, a guy called Addo was brilliant you know and um, and we got promoted that year great year Fantastic stuff. And uh, obviously then you retired. We won't talk about them too much, Sess, but uh, you went and worked for some, some other team in West Yorkshire, I believe. Um, it begins with an L. Uh, you did, was it a community officer you were for a few years? Well, who's that? Leeds United. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I was there for I was there for nine years as a, as a community officer, yeah. Um, and it really, again, that was about when I got... When I got the call, it was the the, the players um, PFA who called me, one of the representatives, and said, "Look, Leeds are having some problems with racism and stuff. Um, we want to put a community a community officer in there who we feel can assist them, who understands the game, and who, who understand what they have to deal with." And they asked me to go for an interview, um, so I went and. Um, you know, after it didn't take me long to accept the job. I lived there, you know, in Leeds, and I was a supporter when I was, when I was a kid. And um, what they wanted was something, someone who understood the game, who could do some coaching with the under 16s as well, which is what I did. So I looked after the under 16 team with uh, with a couple of other coaches, and my job, my other job, was to sell Leeds United to the community and. Big emphasis on the black community, which is the Chapel Town area in Leeds. There was a, a, an organisation that you probably know called the National Front at the time, that was causing a lot of problems outside before games and things like that. And uh, it was stopping a lot of the Asian and the, the black communities from coming. And the club felt that they had to do something to allow to let these people know that the club itself wanted them at games. And you know, that is one way of doing it. We actually took the players into the communities, did sessions with them, had um, coaching sessions with them. Um, the the then coach, uh, sorry, the then um, captain of the team was, um, oh, he's going, I, I forgot his name, <laughs> the little Scot redhead Scottish um, uh, captain of Leeds United at the time. Oh, yeah. It's track, um, Gordon Strachan. Uh, yeah, Gordon Strachan. Sorry, Gordon. You'll never forgive me. Don't let him see you. <laughs> yeah, and, and Gordon was awesome. You know, he used to organise the players so that we could they could do visits into the communities. Um, 
and it worked. You know, we we had a really good relationship eventually with the Chapel Town region. Oh, that's fantastic. That is, and, and rivalries aside, I was only joking, but yeah, that's an incredible thing. And then obviously you went became St Kitts St Kitts and Levis, uh, Nevis manager. Um, how did that come about? I got um, I worked with a guy called Hayden Evans um, after a while. We, he has um, he's an agency, and he used to represent a lot of the Leeds players, um, people like Gary Speed. Um, so, yeah, we, what happened was a company gave us some money to, to invest in, in third world countries. And um, I actually went to St. Kitts representing Hayden's company, HN Score. Um, and, you know, we, we were looking at how we can assist them um, with the funds that were given to us to develop football in their country. And... Um, and I was introduced to, obviously, because I'm saying case, that was one of the countries we went to. And when I was introduced to the Football Association there, um, I kind of really thought I could do a lot more than just giving them funds. So eventually um, I asked Howard if I could go and assist them by being the technical director. And, um, you know, he said, yeah, you can go for, he said, you can go for six weeks and your job will still be there. And so I went for six weeks and then six weeks became six months and I was there for over a year, you know. Um, yeah, and that's how I started working with, with FIFA. Um, when I say FIFA, FIFA fund these countries to have technical directors. And that's how I got into the technical directors um, business by representing St. Kitts in that role. So what was the participation sort of like in football? Because obviously in the Caribbean, uh, it, it's probably more commonly known for cricket in countries, to, to be totally honest, isn't it? Like West Indies, amazing cricket teams, etc. Um, so what what is what was the sort of like participation levels then when, when, when you were back over there? Yeah, I will... You know, I think it used to be um, mainly cricket, but um, very quickly football became, you know, I would say on level terms with, with cricket, you know, because most of the kids, some, remember, football is something that you, you only need a ball and you yeah. can play. You know, with cricket, you need ball, bat, pads, even helmets now, and the surface needs to be decent and stuff. So it wasn't difficult to get kids playing football. And, and again, FIFA had been brilliant because they invested in these countries. In every country, in third world countries, get the same amount of money as countries as big as the UK. So um, the funding that was, was given to these countries by FIFA was used to make sure that they developed football from grassroots level to elite level. And that's, that's how I got introduced to the role of technical director. I, I saw a need for people who wanted, um, you know, who, who had a, a, um, a passion for these countries as well as have the knowledge of how to go about helping them develop their football. Fantastic. And uh, obviously Bradford City came over, didn't they, for a pre-season tournament with the Canadian Olympic team and obviously yourselves. Um, how was that? How, that must have been because we just got up to the Premiership, if I remember right. That's right. Yeah, um, that was great because we were able. It's funny, really, because the chairman at the time was the ex-chairman of Scarborough, so I knew Rich. him. You know, so we invited them over, and um, you know, it was great to have them here. They they enjoyed it as a, a bit a holiday as well as preparing for the first um, introduction to the Premier League. So to have them here and to be able to do that you know, uh, was, was massive for me. And the boys enjoyed it. You know, we made sure we looked after them while they were here. They stayed in a hotel where they could the swim in. It was really right next to the sea seaside so that they could enjoy, enjoy um, a holiday as well as preparing for, for, the, um, for, the, for the premiership. But having said that, when I saw some of the training sessions those guys did, it was like, what? This is not a holiday. That you know, the, the the training was awesome. You know, that not only did they take part in these games, because we, as you say, we, they played against us, the the Sankey's national team, as well as the Canadian team. And um, on top of that, they were they did like preseason. So 
And their pre-season was nothing like I'd seen before. It was like, even though it's, because here, the temperature is nothing like in England. In England, when it's hot, it's hot. But here, it's humid and hot. Yeah. You know, so watching them guys sweat, I was like, boy, I'm glad I'm not playing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but they did all right, didn't they? That, league, that year, they did, they did well, you know. That's so, right. Yeah. Stayed up. Managed to stay up, did that team. Um, yeah. yeah, it's been... Listen, Sess, we've taken up for New Year time, but I just want to say as well, genuinely from City fans and uh, from City event as well, we genuinely believe that you are a legend of Bradford City. You absolutely have deserved your spot on that flag and I know that City fans absolutely agree with that as well it's been really nice to have an insight into your life and um, listen back to some of your stories and it, it has been honestly a real pleasure for, for myself and I'm sure for Andy as well 100%. If you want to say Andy. yeah 100% I just want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts but for everything you gave to Bradford City it's before mine and Chris's time uh, but like you created so many memories for for my granddad, um, and so it's 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 more towards a bit of the older generation that's going to feel all the nostalgia for you, Seth. But honestly, thank you from every Bradford City fan's heart, bottom of our hearts for the five hundred plus fourteen years of service you gave to our club. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Chris. It's been a pleasure. Give my love to everyone, and um, when I get back. I'll definitely be coming to the home game. Good Excellent. man. Good Can't man. wait to see you, Paul. Okay, Take mate. Care. Bless you all. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 